Oh, welcome back to this Action RC podcast, Summer Series 22 and 23, back reflecting on RC racing in Australia and around the world. Uh, have been looking particularly at the history of our sport, but now starting to think a little bit about contemporary events as well. Today, we're heading in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, we've heard so many stories over the back catalogue of these podcast episodes about what it means to people to race in a team setting. We've had stories about team driving. I remember that story from Andrew Gillett a few episodes back. We've heard stories about teams like Team Associated or Trinity Losi, Auscharge Electronics uh, in Australia, Schumacher and more. And it got me to thinking what's involved in an RC race team. Why would a company run one? How does it work? What does it take to be a team manager? So that's where we're going today, deep inside the world of RC race teams. And who better to turn to than the current team manager for Team Associated's Australian race team, Andrew Salvaggi. Not only a team manager, but a national champ and a regular race winner in his own right. And just back, by the way, from what many would consider a dream trip to race in the US. Andrew, it is great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me for a chat. Thank you, Scott. And uh, yeah, I have uh, pleasure to join. Um, yeah, I was... Uh, I was uh, Humbled that you reached out and more than happy to, to have a chat. So thank you. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. So before we get to all that team stuff, and we'll also talk a bit about your own racing, um, but I actually want to start with the US and and that you, you're just back from a, you know, what many would consider a dream trip to the US. I think you traveled with Jared Ment, one of the other young uh, Australian fast guys. Tell, can Let's just begin that converse, this conversation there. Tell me about the trip, where you went, what you did, what the racing was like. How was the US? Yeah, uh, it, it was a it was a dream trip. Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough that uh, through my RC, you know, hobby or career, whatever you want to call it, I've been able to travel around the world and um this one was uh was right up with it there with some of the best um mm. i remember being at the new south wales state titles um or the nationals and uh jared meant mentioning hey you know we're gonna go over to the us can you write me a letter um to uh so i can put through my visa <laughs> application to, to get in there yeah and i'm like oh yeah cool i can do that and uh and then a day later it was a uh, oh why don't you come with us and then <laughs> an hour later it was a, I asked my wife, what, what can I, you know, are we doing anything between mid yeah. November to mid of December? And she said, no. And then one minute later I was on Qantas.com <laughs> booking my flights. Uh, honey, have um, I got a deal for you. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be, uh, be given a leave pass for three and a half weeks to go nice. over to the U S um, yeah. So we, and where we did you race? What, to... what was the trip like? Where did, where did you get to? Yeah, so we uh, we did we did California and Arizona. So okay. um, we went over there specifically for two events. One being the uh, J Concept Series, uh, their Indoor National Series final yep. at yep. Hobby Action Raceway in Arizona. Um, that's where they're hosting the Worlds yep. uh, later this year. Uh, and then we also tailed on to an event uh, the week after that, uh, the Top Gun Shootout in uh, San Diego, California, at SDRC Raceway. Okay. So yeah, we uh, we did that. We uh, got over there at um, got over there around mid of November. Spent a week doing some practice, getting in the yep. time zone, and understanding what it is to race on indoor slicks. Mm. Um, and uh, and then just basically did the tour uh, track every day. I think we out of the twenty one days we were there, we spent four days away from the track. 
Um, and, uh, and yeah, so just did that, had a lot of fun, um, got to catch up with a lot of people that, uh, personally I hadn't seen since, uh, since the pandemic, um, and meet some really cool new people. Um, it's the first time I've been over to the U S and done club racing. Yeah. Uh, so that was such a cool different vibe. Um, so yeah, yeah, a, a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, and yeah, just kind of, a uh, an entree to, to the world later this year. So I want to ask you about the worlds in a second, but what before we get to that, what are the what are the tracks actually like? How different are they to what you're used to here in Australia? You know, our kind of classic outdoor, um, hard kind of surfaces, and you know, all sorts of and some really old school tracks here as well. But what what are these indoor US tracks like compared to your normal race places? Yeah, well, what you would think and what you see in the photos is exactly what they are. They're, they're perfectly manicured, groomed. Not uh, not exposed to the elements. Um, they have a slightly different clay over there. So um, depending on which track you go to, it's either run wet, so where they mist it and water yep. it, um, yep. and kind of keep it like a pottery clay consistency. Yep. Um, for those that might remember, like the old um, custom model cars track in New South Wales that um, Darren Campbell used to run, that little indoor track, very yep. much the same as that. Um, and uh, and then there's other tracks like Hobby Action where there's a lot less clay in the dirt and they kind of run that dry. So it's uh, slightly more abrasive. And, um, but in general, uh, you know, it, it's, they, they water it every day. They blow it between every run. Um, so not just every round, every race. Um, and uh, and you know, the traction's fairly high. I wouldn't say it's, it's much different to, say, say a place like Chargers. Yeah. Um, or even Kilo. Uh, Kilo yeah. is actually fairly representative because of the oiled surface. We use yeah. um, almost ghost, you know, slicks yeah. there. Um, but the the main character difference in their tracks is you spend about 50% of your time in the air yeah. compared to ours where yeah. uh, you'll have a track that has one or two key feature jumps. Yes. Every section of track over there has a jump. So you are, you never have a, t- a chance to breathe. On the on it, like the even the straights are short, jumps are, are long. They don't have down ramps, um, so you can really see why the quality of drivers over there is exceptional because Absolutely. their tracks are really hard. It's it's a big year. We're coming into a world's year, obviously, and the first world's that's run for a few years now for the reasons that we all know and hate. Um, I guess I'm, you know, and I'm really keen to explore the worlds a little bit through the year and as we approach thinking about, you know, who's going well and those sorts of things on this podcast. But, you know, for now, I guess at least, you know, having had a look at the facility, had a look at the style of track, the style of racing, you know, what's your early kind of vibe on, I guess the big question for me is, you know, can anyone else outside of US driver genuinely compete on, you know, what is, you know, a, a pretty strong home turf advantage um, what's mm-hmm. your what's your feeling on that, Andrew? I guess for Australian drivers that you know well, but also for you know people coming from other part of the world. Yeah, I, I will say um, that Hobby Action the facility is absolutely amazing. Yeah, um, it is what you see in the photos and more, um, and uh, and it's it's truly one of the best facilities that that I've ever been to, including you know the Huddy Arena where they had the twenty nineteen Worlds. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the, the vibe at that facility um, and the track, the people that run it, is very akin to um, tracks in Australia, uh, mm. very laid back, very relaxed. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, the surface itself 
isn't foreign um, to, to what we run on here, nor would it be foreign to what the guys in Europe run on. Uh, so to, to answer your question, uh, will anyone else outside of America be competitive? Absolutely, yes. Game on. Could someone else, yeah, could, could someone outside of America win it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, these, these events, they're great equalizers. It's yeah. controlled tire. Um, and, uh, and you can't run on the track. The only, the only advantage the locals have in that space is that they know the dirt and they know what it does, yeah, yeah. but you'll have, uh, everyone will be on the same tire. Everyone will be using the same tire source or mm. preparation, depending if they do it. Um, so those, those things really equalize that, that advantage locals like a, a Mayfield or a roof can might have yeah. not saying that those guys won't dominate. Um, but, but they could dominate anywhere in the world, couldn't they? People it's, like it's that. Game on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is exciting to hear. That's exciting news, and I'm I'm definitely keen to keep an eye on the build up to that event. I know there's a couple of big events uh, over the next few months at Hobby Action, and I reckon we might start to see some overseas names popping up over there for some practice time. Uh, and definitely, they are, they are all going. Yeah, yeah. The the X-ray team was meant to be there when we were there. They uh, had to re-divert, unfortunately, but. Yeah. Um, I know there's going to be a concerted effort from all teams to pretty much live in Arizona for the next nine months. And some big moves in the silly season two in 10 scale off-road. I guess I'm, you know, I'm particularly uh, have been associated with the Schumacher team over many years. And so I've been keeping mm. a keen eye on the changes they've made, um, but other teams as well making some, some interesting moves. So Leah, lots to look forward to. Let's park that one. Uh, Worlds, we'll talk about Worlds a bunch more over the next six months. Uh, but, Andrew, let's come back to your story. Out Before we get into the team thing, you know, I guess I'm interested in a little bit of your own racing history and, you know, what's the what's the origin story for you? Where did this get started? What's, you know, what have been some of the high points of your time behind the transmitter um, before we talk team? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, but for those that don't know me, I'm an absolute motorsport fanatic, Um Excellent. I, anything that's on four wheels and more recently uh, on two wheels as well. Um, and uh, and I, I remember when I was five years old, you know, I remember I said to my, to my parents, I want to be Michael Schumacher. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and they go, oh, don't you want to be a, an astronaut or a scientist? <laughs> I, no, I want to drive cars. Yeah. Um, and uh, but unfortunately, I've got a, a little bit of a medical backstory. Um, uh, I've got a condition called haemophilia, so my blood doesn't clot. Okay. Um, so I can't play a lot of contact sports or put yeah. myself in dangerous situations. So that pretty much killed my uh, aspirations of driving full-size cars or go-karts yep. and things like that. Yep. Um, and the next best thing was RC. I, mm. One of my mates at, at grade six or year seven in high school got a, you know, uh, to me, a pull start, you know, WRX on-road thing. Nice. Um, and I did what anyone else did. And I said, I want what he's got because I want to be cool. <laughs> right. um, and uh, and it just so happened that um, I asked my dad and then my uncle, uh, my dad's brother, he uh, he said, oh, I used to race remote control cars. Yeah. You know, I, did, I did velodrome racing and a little bit of off-road. Um, speak to this guy. I know he's getting out of the sport. And um, and he's got some cars you could buy, hmm. uh, and that so happened to be one of the the old um, old crew down here in Victoria, Kevin Seckold. Oh yes. Um, so uh, in two thousand, I bought a couple of his old cars, hmm. um, uh, you know, which then was just a restored B two, 
Um, yep. and, uh, and, I had an Oscharge group 20 motor in it. Um, and, uh, I burnt that motor out in the first five hours, you know, not knowing <laughs> you have to true comms or anything like that. And I was just thrashing it up and down the street. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then one thing led to another and I got introduced to the Kilo club and, uh, and the rest was history. Uh, so I quickly went from a B2, converted that to a B3, bought a brand new B3 um and uh yeah i kind of rolled from there started off uh like i mentioned running group 20 um as uh, as my class for those that don't remember it it was kind of like an in-between class between stock and mod um so you had like 27 turn stock 20 turn and then a fully modified open yep. you know motor so um i went from that in six months and then wound it back to 540 um because I, I, I couldn't drive i couldn't drive to save my life um and uh and then yeah slowly progressed from there i uh, went from 540 to 27 turn stock um and then uh and then i think around 2004 i made the jump from stock to modified okay um and i was racing you know victoria back then um was uh was when maddie griffin was in his you know absolute peak of, um, yeah. of his powers and i was fortunate enough that matt took me under his wing at that time um and uh and yeah i, I traveled around the events with him um which were fun and there's some stories that i probably can't uh repeat <laughs> officially online um but uh, but yeah he, he kind of uh i'd call it broke me in to to rc and um and then yeah i I think I made uh, 2005, 2006, made the Nationals eight finals in yep. two-wheel and four-wheel. Um, and then uh, and then after that, I found out what uh, real cars were. I got my license. Yeah, okay. um, I found out, uh, you know, who the opposite sex was. And, um, and <laughs> I stopped racing for seven years. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I got into yeah, it. Yeah. It was... You know, uh, it was the next best thing to full-size motorsport. So, what what drew you back after seven years? That I mean, it's such it's such a common story of you know people who who grow up racing love it. Life circumstances, whatever it is, takes them away. But there's a, there's something in this sport hobby that draws people back. What what was it for you that drew you back, Andrew? Yeah, I, I honestly remember the moment that I, I was laying in bed one night. I was speaking to my but my fiance at the time now my wife um and i was i had this itch and i didn't know what it was and i'm like i i need to do something i'm restless so you know i'm not life isn't balanced you know and i'm and i laid there and i, I go you know what i need a hobby hmm. and she looks at me and she goes didn't you have a hobby and i'm like <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i did you know, it, it felt like a lifetime ago, but it was yeah. only seven years. Yeah. Um, and so one hour later, I'm there, you know, uh, looking at cars and, and pretty much ordered all my equipment and went from one week not having anything to the next week of I was running club days at, at Keelor and it just kind of happened. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's two stories you've told now. Where you, uh, once you make your mind up, you act pretty quickly, right? That uh, it's the consistent thing with this story and the uh, trip to the US. Like once you decide, you're in. Uh, I'm very impulsive, <laughs> uh, and if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So, yeah, 
Yeah, exactly right. And obviously, when when you did come back, you got sort of straight back into the you know competitive deep end, if you like. I've had a bit of a look through nationals results, and I see you popping up on the podium um, twenty thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. So obviously, you 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 know you weren't kind of running around. Um, just having a little bit of fun on a Sunday afternoon, you were you were into the the competition again fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah, I kind of I jumped straight back in. Um, the the first six months honestly was a baptism of fire because I'd stopped racing at the tail end of brush motors. Yeah, um, okay. and we were running on we were, we're running nickel metal hydrides then, not NICADs, yeah. but yeah. I'd come back in and suddenly there was brushless, there was lipos, there you know the cars were about. It felt like a kilo lighter. Yeah. Um, so it took me a little while to get my head around it. But my first big event, which was, I think, the 2013 Nationals at Mildura, um, that's, it was deemed the Sugar Nats. Um, I think I qualified seventh or eighth in two-wheel drive mod. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, like I just kind of got straight back into it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not, not talented by any means, but – I, you know, it felt like riding a horse, yeah, you know, just or riding a bike. You know, just come back natural. Okay, I don't think you ever lose that sense of what is fast and what is not fast. You, yeah. you just kind of pick it back up. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you you might say you're not that fast, but you you go all right. You have a couple of national titles to your name in the last couple of years, and you know some podiums in that in that kind of uh, return phase over those few years. So you, I think you go mm-hmm. all right. Um, Thank you. you have in the last couple of years been more oriented around the stock classes. Has that been a kind of a mm-hmm. conscious choice? Has that been to do with, I guess, the workload around the team manager kind of stuff? What's what's drawn you back to being focused more on stock in the last few seasons? Yeah, without going too far down the rabbit hole, mm. um, uh, there, there's a little bit of nuances to, to, to those explanations. Mm. Um the uh, back in 2016, uh, related to my medical condition, I had an internal bleed into my okay. carpal tunnel on my left hand, um, and I uh, had to have surgery and everything like that. And one of the consequences of that happening is I have no feeling in my right in my left index finger anymore. Okay. Um, so it, it's you know it, it works, but I can't feel anything. <laughs> um, so that being trigger finger, um, I was. <laughs> That's a little challenge. Yeah, I, I, I was. A, I was a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I was re- always an aggressive racer and, and lent yeah. on the on the throttle a lot. So um, I was finding doing racing modified tricky yeah. at the time, um, and and then around that same time, I'd kind of become more active in the team and uh, and made a conscious decision that at big events uh, where. I needed to do my job as as team manager and look after everyone. Um, I would run a separate class, whether it be stock or truck, or um, I was I was finding running modified, you know, with you know uh, with Lachlan Donnelly, the Mondays, and and all that all that crew. I could never con- focus on my car. I was yes. always looking at what was going on with them in the corner of my eye, yeah. um, and I, I didn't I didn't really feel like I was doing my job. To full effect, if I was if I was racing in the same race as them, so um, makes sense. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I made the decision to to, to step back um, at at club days. I still run mod, or if I can't be bothered, I'll run mod with my stock car. Yeah, um, and uh, and then yeah, big events where it's like a, a national a national or a state title, I'll just run stock and and basically be uh, be pitman for for all the all the team. Nice. 
Well, it's, it's certainly worked wonders in terms of those results. So, as I said, uh, 2019, a, a national championship uh, at Keeler at home in two-wheel drive and then uh, another win in the same class at Chargers in 2022. Let me just ask you about this nationals that we've just run in uh, September 2022, the first nationals that's run for a couple of years, away mm. from home for you guys. And, you know, you had to travel a few times to get to grips with what is an unusual surface and a, or a particular kind of a surface. Maybe just a you know a couple of thoughts from you on on that nationals at charges and maybe you know what work from a team perspective had to go into being ready to compete at that at that event. Yeah, uh, I will say um, you know first cab off the rank uh, is I went to the twenty fourteen nationals, which was hosted by uh, the Chargers Club. It was. Um, and, 15, uh, and 15, then, oh, sorry, 15, yeah. 15, sorry. Yep. Um, I, I went to that nationals and then now to this nationals they hosted. And I, I can tell you the, in seven years, the amount of work that that club has done and dedication and effort and kind of environment that they've created is, uh, is truly, you know, outstanding um that that track that facility i know you race there locally but um just my hats off to them uh for, for what they've done it's uh it's no small feat no, they're a great um, crew. they're a great crew yeah, yeah and they, their culture uh, at, at the track is is perfect hmm. um uh, yeah from an outsider perspective hmm. um as far as as far as the the track itself obviously being the sixth surface you know sealed sand essentially it was slightly different to what we've ever run on before down here. Um, it's, it is interesting. It's not mega traction. Mm. Um, your car still slides. And I think we were running a tire that was slightly too firm for the, yeah. for that track at the time. Um, so it was kind of a hybrid type track where it was, you know, very smooth and high grip side bite, but you could get wheel spinning forward, you know, um, yeah. forward bite. So, um, it, it, it took us a, few, a little while to get our heads around it. I mean, obviously, we're very fortunate that uh, that Chris Thirty is is a local at the Chargers track, and he's done quite a lot of running and some development there. Uh, so we did we did start off with some really good base setups, but as you alluded to earlier, uh, myself and and the Mondays, um, and uh, and also you know Jared Mint and Lachlan Donnelly, we had to make a couple of trips up there. Mm. I think if we didn't go to the Queensland state titles. Um, which were, you know, a few months before we would have wouldn't have had the success that we had um, at the nationals. So it um, it didn't take a lot, but it, it took a lot of the team's brain power to, to get everything to a point where we could be successful. Hmm. So let's let's kind of charge on then into this conversation about the team. What what I mean, let's start with your I guess your role. You've alluded to that a couple of times, and I said in the introduction. You, you manage or lead that team-associated team within Australia. So tell me about the role, how it got, how you got started, you know, how's the role kind of shaped and how's it evolving over time? Yeah, uh, it, it's a really good question. And um, I, I think it, you know, going to, to uh, the, the latter part of your question, you know, how, how did it all start? Um, a, a lot of things that have happened to me in life have all just kind of happened by osmosis. Um, and kind of be, being there in the right place and right time, not not searching for something, but um, letting things happen. Um, and I was fortunate that I didn't fall into the position, but I was I was given the opportunity to 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 take that role. 
Hmm. Um, but it, it all started, I would say, back as far back as 2007 when okay. I was I was in my hiatus from racing. Um, but the Nationals was at Keelor. So I think 2007, that was the year that, um, yeah, Keelor hosted the Nats. Um, and I think it's 2008 is the records I've got. Keelor? 2008. Sorry, you are correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 2008, um, and I I couldn't not go and watch. Yeah. Um, and that's when Ray Monday had moved over from Perth to a, to, to Melbourne. Mm. Um, and I I said to him, mate, I'll, I'll pit for you. Mm. I'm happy. I, I'm not racing. I'll happily work on your cars and yeah. you know take take some stress off your off his head. Um, and he you know happened to win two drive. Uh, yeah, you know, his first national championship. So, yeah, um, that match that made was, in heaven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was the first kind of taste I got of you know being able to positively influence um, uh, results that aren't my own. Mm. Um, and uh, and then kind of fast forwarding, I would you know I think I have an affinity to helping people. Mm. Um, I grew up in a in a local uh, AFL or footy you know football club. Um, and a lot of that is volunteerism um, and and just helping out and being a part of a team culture. Um, and then in 2018, I went to the Ready Racer Champions over in um, over in uh, in uh, then OCRC in California. Yeah. Um, and I'd already uh, the associated team already knew who I was. I'd helped Cole McBride when he was running associated at the 2017 Worlds. Um, I pitted for him and he also made the A-Main at the Worlds mm. in China. Um, and uh, and then I, Brent Telke came over to me in, in, when I got to OCRC and said, hey, uh, can you pit here and look after the, look after the, you know, then I wouldn't call it the B team, but, you know, not the Spencer Rifkins of the world, yes. but the, yep. the next level down. Yep. Look after this this group of 20 races. Yeah. Um, and the main guy I was looking after, he ended up winning two-wheel drive open at the ready race. Okay. Um, so I'd kind of had this, uh, shouldn't say a pattern, but I'd had this, uh, yeah. you know, kind of inkling that I, I might be good at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really enjoy enjoy helping others and making sure that they can operate to the best of their ability if there's things that I can do. Um, so uh, that kind of happened, and then uh, in 2020, just before the world changed, um, I got. It's <laughs> uh, a good way I, to put it. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I got a, a message from Darren Campbell at Model Engines. Um, at that time, I was already in a team associated driver, um, and uh, and said, "Hey, uh, you know, did you want to did you want to run the team for us? Um, you know, and uh, I've kind of got a rule: if anyone, you know, if anyone presents you with an opportunity, I usually always say yes. Yeah. Um, because you never know what's going to come of it, and uh, and yeah, did that for a few year, a couple of years, and um, yeah, built the team up. We had our success. We've had some decent success, and then uh, just recently, off the back of the trip to the US, um, I'm now the uh, uh, not team manager, but kind of our regional administrator or race team manager for Australia directly with Team Associated, not okay. via our importer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's Fantastic. a long-winded way of saying yeah. I, I, it all just kind of happened, um, and uh, and opportunities presented themselves. So there's just a, there's a couple of questions I just want to I just want to go back a moment into that story. 
I guess what I'm interested in is what you've noticed about what it does for drivers to have someone working with them at a, at a big race meeting. So, you know, there's lots of drivers who do their own thing at an event who look after all their own gear and so on. There's father and son teams we know, but, you know, fur the further up in the sport, I guess, in a sense we get, the more often there is a dedicated pit crew uh, or a, you know, team team kind of coordinator, whatever it might be, that maybe takes some stress off the drivers. And so, you know, and you alluded to that. So I'm curious about, you know, what you notice uh, happens to a driver when when you, for example, or someone else is there just taking care of business so that they can, I guess, just be focused on the driving side. How much of a difference have you noticed that making? It it, it makes a, a fairly big difference, hmm. um, in, in my opinion. Um, uh, you know, personally, I operated as a sole when, when I was racing, you know, competitively a lot in, in modified. I was, I was a one-man band. Um, and having to focus on racing, focus on tyres, focus on your car and maintenance and everything like that, and then also do the job on track mm. and not have someone there for you watching you drive um, and being able to give you that feedback. Um, you're almost in a boxing match with one arm tied behind your back mm. um, because uh, you, you've got that you see a lot of the successful teams and it, it goes back there. There's a couple of anomalies in there, hmm. but if you look locally here in Australia, you've got, you know, Chris and Gary Sturdy back yep. in the day, you had, you know, Greg and Ari Barkler, hmm. um, you know, uh, Jeff Primer with Craig Lawton and Matt yep. Primer. Yep. Um, yeah. Bray Monday with Lachlan Monday. Uh, and then, you know, the Mints, the Donnellys, all of the really successful teams onshore, and then also offshore are always um, driver and mechanic. And I think it just takes that, the stress of working on cars and having to think about that stuff completely off their shoulders. And they can sit there and whether they sit on their phone and play Angry Birds or kick a football <laughs> around, um, it, it's what for them enables them to operate their, at their maximum potential and kind of dedicate that mental capacity on the track instead of having to fix a car if they broke it yeah, or you know, that type of stuff. It, to me, it, it is a huge difference. It certainly ring, it rings true for me. I most often have looked after my own stuff, but one, once or twice I've had one time in particular, I called traveling to Victoria for a Victorian champs and a friend saying, look, I'm coming, but I'm not racing. So I'm going to look after the car and you know, you, you can just relax. Uh, we would talk about what the car was doing, what he could see, um, the story he tells is that I would suggest some changes. He would say, go away, I'll make whatever changes I want. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was a great experience to work with someone who had, I guess, that that headspace to just watch the car really closely, to even just the practicalities around, hey, Scott, you've got half an hour to your next race. You know, I'll, I'll let you know when it's coming up, those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, I can I can really see the value in that. And I guess I can see, you know, how that, what you've noticed then would come into how you seek to work with the race team at events. Mm. What does it mean for team associated to have a race team? Um, we're talking about in Australia, so let's let's kind of stay there, but it's probably an answer that's true anywhere. Why would team associated have a race team? What's the point? What's the purpose? Yeah, I mean, above and beyond, you know, uh, getting race results, it's also mm. brand representation. Um, I think we've got a very, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of your listeners, you know, um, from from yesteryear will will know, but a lot of the the younger guys uh, that have only raced here recently, 
Um, we have a range of tracks here in Australia that are um, unlike anywhere else in the world. We have everything from uh, blown out, low grip, dusty tracks to <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> you know, you know, like uh, Red River clay uh, tracks like at Wodonga, um, up to charges where you've got treated sealed tracks, and then more recently the the latest craze is you know oiled or treated tracks. Mm. Um, so you've got everything from using a a whole shot or a, you know, back then, a, mm. if not stud, mm. um, yes. all the way up to uh, an almost slick tyre. Mm. So we've got this um, uh, really, really good opportunity for any brand to do a lot of development um, on cars mm. and have them not race on a track that's akin to like an indoor slick track that they that's have over in the US. Yeah. Yeah. So well, as far as the team here... We, Team Associated traditionally had a, a rather small team. Um, in the past, it always used to be one off-road and one on-road driver. Back then, it was Matt Griffin um, and Andrew Abbott. Yep. Um, but since then, uh, the teams kind of uh, started to, to realise that there's some very good input that uh, us as drivers can give. And I have to give credit where it's due. Ray Monday is a massive catalyst for that. Obviously, he's an engineer by trade works in off-road full size um, and he's he's basically been able to do his job but on an RC scale mm. and from that team associated realized how uh, how valuable our input here because of our track conditions can be yep. to their success around the world mm. um, so that, that, that's kind of the reason why yeah. the team we have the team that we do obviously besides, selling kits and making the brand as popular as we can. It's the the variation of conditions and the feedback that we can give to that team. You know, uh, the the year that Spencer Rifkin won the world in 2019, um, a lot of people may not know, but he was running essentially a setup that we developed for our conditions here, the winning okay. hoodie arena. Yeah. So that's the benefit that, yeah. that we bring to the table for an American company. You mentioned just a moment ago that you know that era when there was an on-road and an off-road driver. Is is the team kind of still have that broad focus across a range of different categories now, or is it? I mean, are you working with you know the eighth-scale off-road guys, someone like Alex Bernardzik, or is it really your your focus is more around the electric off-road side? Uh, no, so I mean, um, it's no secret to anyone that that Associated pulled out of the competitive on-road um, yes. market. Uh, it's not an area that they've traditionally been super successful in, um, and they've diverted all of all of our um, production and efforts into off-road vehicles. Mm. Um, and so I, I cover uh, my interest is in in anything that Team Associated produces a race vehicle. Yep. Uh, so eighth scale uh, nitro EP, and then also tenth scale um, off-road. So work with you know Alex Benazic. Um, and uh, and we'll work with uh, one of our, our new drivers, uh, Jay Nedmans, in the one eighth side of things. Um, so I but, saw that uh, announcement just this morning. Yeah, that's exciting news for Jaden and for you guys. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, we, I think you know, this is probably getting a bit touchy touchy feely. Um, but I, I think uh, post the worlds in 2018 here, one eighth scale took a very big hit. Um, a lot of people have put a lot of time and effort into that. So in general, the 1.8 scene um, outside of, say, Queensland 
um, died off pretty hard. So we're now trying as a brand to, to start pushing that again and, and get people back out to one-eighth tracks because they're truly unlike anything else. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's probably a fair observation too. And it's a good reminder for me, I'm located in Southeast Queensland where there are, you know, four, I think four high quality one-eighth tracks within a couple of hours of me and, and some incredible talent in that category mm. uh, of racing. So it's yeah, it's a good reminder to me that what I see in Southeast Queensland might not be what's happening in the rest of the country. We just mentioned a couple of names. Of yeah, it is. And the, and the young talent in particular is is unreal. It's unreal to go to a racetrack and watch these young people, young kids, just absolutely flying. Um, mm-hmm. Andrew, we mentioned a couple of names there, Jaden Edmonds being one, um, Alex Bernardzik another. Give us a sense of who else, how, how is the team, Team Associated's team in Australia shaped? Who's in it? Um, you know, what's what does that all look like uh, for you guys? Yeah. Uh, so uh, as I alluded to earlier, uh, we used to have a, there was a model of, you know, you only had very few factory supported drivers. It is still the case um, uh, for direct um, factory support. So um, if we're talking, uh, you know, you've got you guys like Alex Benazic, Ray Monday and Chris Sturdy who are um, direct with associated uh, factory supported um, uh, kind of lead the charge as far as the on-track performance. Um, And and then we've also got our associated backed um, distributor team. So uh, you, uh, team like Lachlan Donnelly, uh, you know, Jared Mint, uh, Jaden Edmonds, uh, Jack McMillan, um, and, you know, the list goes on. But essentially the structure that, uh, that I've put some time and effort into is having at least two, two drivers in each state yep. um, for each code, so whether it be one-tenth or one-eighth. Mm-hmm. So there's, uh, there's a not only someone there that you can bounce ideas off as a team so you're not a lone wolf out there yes. trying to do setup development and things like that mm-hmm. um, but also to have two competitive guys on track that mm-hmm. can make each other faster mm-hmm. um, so the model that we went went with is we've got our factory guys um, then we've got our team associated distributor um, backed team um, and then we've also got uh, the, the, the next tier of drivers which are people that you know um, that support club racing, um, that are, you know, putting it in the A for state and some national titles. So you've got people like Jordan Kosick, uh, Mark Rogers, Harry Lawrence, yeah. you know, Rob Maycock, Paul Mason, mm-hmm. um, you know, list goes on. So we're, we've made it, made a very big effort to ensure that we've got drivers at every big race in every state and we've got brand representation. Um, and the, the, the latest category that we've started to do uh, is, is also encouraging juniors to race mm-hmm. um, and giving them the support that they need. So we've only just started our junior program. Um, so we've got, you mentioned earlier, Harry Lawrence, um, young Lachlan Williams in New South yep. Wales yep. Um, and Shelby Bloss down here in, um, in, in Victoria. So we've got a couple of tiers of support and also um, giving giving people a, a progression if they want to continue um, their their RC career, so to speak. It, that, that's a, the last comment there around the junior drivers just reminds me that Team Associated through the Australian distributor alongside um, other manufacturers and distributors, and I, and I don't want to name the names because I'll forget someone, but 
but at least Yokomo and Losi and I think X-Ray, a number of manufacturers together made an incredible show of support to junior racing in Australia at the Nationals last September. You know, an extraordinarily generous kind of gifting of product to entrance in that junior stock category that, you know, I, mm. like as a bystander, I was just sitting there going, well, that's deeply impressive commitment from manufacturers and importers and, and retailers in Australia to say, you know, we believe in young people and we want to see, you know, kids and young people racing and racing hard. Uh, that was that was deeply impressive. And, it, you know, I guess it says something about Team Associated, yes, um, but also the other manufacturers that are active in Australia. Yeah, I was, you know, uh, there at the, that presentation. I think the other brand was S-Works. S-Works um, it was, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, the, I was akin to what you're saying, just mm. truly blown away mm. um, by the support. Uh, and, and I think that's an acknowledgement of, say, our, our controlling bodies of, mm. like RCRA, re, you know, recognising that juniors are truly the future. I mean, that it's all you know, self-explanatory, but um, we can't just continue to be mm. 20, 30, 40, 50-year-olds racing on a track. Otherwise, the, the hobby <laughs> will die a, a slow yeah. death. Yeah, and so um, it should. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm all for more of that mm. um, and, and proactively promoting um uh juniors and, and yeah. giving them the step up that they need excellent 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 yeah. mate um how, how do things work for you guys we've talked about some of the people that are in the structure and the shape but how does how does the team actually work together at races between races you know what level of cooperation or communication is there for you guys across across the team yeah yeah and another really good question i the uh, i'll probably start with without the track yeah. um so for, for large events, um, we'll, uh, I've got a, you know, I do this uh, professionally in, in my own workplace as well. I, I believe in, um, in neighbouring or, you know, commuting together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we make an effort um, to, to everyone to pit together. So in my role, I'll reach out and contact the club, mm-hmm. ensure that we've got enough pit space allocated and do everything we can for all drivers who are attending events to be together. Um, that way you have a sense of team yeah. um, and, and you can really set a, a vibe uh, for that race meeting um, and, uh, and uh, information is e- easily communicated across um, the team. Uh, so generally at, at a racetrack, we'll, we'll all pit together. Um, we will make efforts to ensure that everyone's been given a base setup or um, the track knowledge is shared prior to attending. And that's why we've got... Um, drivers in each state so say going into the south australian titles recently um uh you know coming up we've got Jaden edmonds and jack mcmillan in that state so they'll provide us with the feedback and setup development that they've been doing so and we ensure that everyone's got that information who's attending um and then as we go through an event uh we'll have uh briefs during the day so around lunchtime we'll check in how's everyone going is there anything that people want out of the car whose car looks the best on track and then what's the difference between that car and everyone else's. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then at the end of the day, we'll do debriefs, run through setups, um, do things like track walks and, and all of that. Um, so it's, it's all about, you know, everyone's racing for, for their own, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a single person competition. It is. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a big believer in uh, it's, it's all good and well to TQ an event. But if you have nine other nine other cars behind you that aren't the same brand, you're a man alone at sea or a woman alone at sea. Whereas if you have 
five teammates at the top of the grid, then you're, you know, as a team, you're winning. Hmm. Um, So uh, I'm a big believer in that. So we, uh, we promote openness, sharing um, and, and making sure everyone's operating at their best ability. Um, And and away from the track, we've got, you know, much like most other groups, we've got, you know, uh, private Facebook pages, uh, chats, things like that, where we communicate and meet um, and provide development uh, information. So uh, Ray Monday and a few of the other crew lead the kind of engineering side of things. Um, And then we get the team to try things, verify what they felt. And then so as a we can get general consensus on how things are working. Um, and, and then every one, to, one or two months we'll meet online as well and do a Zoom session, um, have a chat, see what events are coming up, who's going to go, um, latest developments with cars, that type of stuff. So there's at the track in between events and then also when you're at home wrenching. Yeah. Andrew, how does, how does that, you know, that information, that, that rich seam of information and data and so on that you guys are gathering how does that filter out to your customers? You know, I think I guess I'm thinking about it. You know, a, a new brand, a new company like Mayaka, who mm. are, you know, really framing their whole kind of model, I guess, around access to team info for their customers. This membership model that they've they've kind of pursued. Yeah. You know, I'm guessing for you guys, there's a consciousness of making sure that other customers who are running a team associated product, you know, have access to some of that information that you, you're assembling around setups for events or you know those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's a very good initiative that, that a lot of companies are doing. Um, the, the the big thing for us, and you know, being honest, we're we're here as a brand to support the customer. Mm. Um, we're not we're not your Spencer Rivkins or your Ryan Mayfields of the world, and we're paid to win world championships. Ultimately, we're here to to represent the brand and offer support to to the to the everyday punter. Um, so all the work that we do. Uh, at the track and the development that we do, we ensure that we're doing it, um, uh, we're testing it correctly, verifying that it is a good direction or base setup. And then once we've got a consensus that it is genuinely the way to go for any given track or any given vehicle, we'll then push that out to the world and offer that to to everyone. Um, where we make an effort not to share stuff that we don't know is going to work because yep. how often do you hear, uh, you know, I put someone set up on and I couldn't drive it. <laughs> That's right. You know? Yeah. So we're, we're, we, we try and get a general consensus and then push people in a direction. Yeah. And then once we have that, you know, we've been very active in trying to push base setups onto our public pages. <laughs> um, and then also because we have drivers represented in each state, they can then go and filter that out to um, to any driver who needs that support, um, so it's a it's all about getting it right in house first, mm. ensuring that it is right for the customer, yeah. and then giving giving everyone on track that info and helping them become you know reach their best of their abilities if there's something wrong with their car or things like yeah. that. So um, it's a long winded way of saying we do share stuff, yeah. but we don't when- share stuff that we don't know is going to be. When there's it's a degree of confidence, yeah, 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 it correct. does. It does strike me, you know, that that alongside the work of the team, there's a really important role for the the distributor, the importer, and the network of retailers that support the brand around the country as well. And certainly, you know, in the in the sense of team associated, there's there's some pretty good support, um, 
you know, across access to product and and those sorts of things as well. Yeah, and we, we go out of our way to share all of that information, albeit even if we're doing testing um, with with the hobby shops and our and our main um, uh, resellers here in Australia. So you know, people like Michael Sherman up at Speedy RC or M- Michael Snedden at Campbelltown. Um, you know, the team at, at Hearns Hobbies uh, in Victoria. We try and share that information out to to the hobby shop, so then they can either stock parts that we know we're going to tell people to, that is going to be the next best thing since sliced bread, mm. um, or coming up to an event. You know, I might say to you know a good example of at the nationals, um, we said to Michael Sherman, stock up on uh, orange front springs mm. because everyone's going to need them. And so ahead of that time, he was able to get them in stock. Yep. And then what do you know? Everyone starts knocking on the hobby shop's door. I need really stiff springs. Do you have any? And he goes, yeah, I do. <laughs> That's right. So it's, it, it's, uh, it's helping out the shops provide the support to the customer um, and then also us telling the shops as well and, and the importer, what, what do we need here? Most excellent. Andrew, I want, to go, I want to go behind the curtain. I want to go inside the secret kind of internal business of the team. I'm thinking here about, you know, the, the comparison with Formula One, where the first and primary objective for any driver is to beat their teammate, the only other person mm-hmm. with the same equipment as them. You've got, if we stick with modified electric off-road for the moment, you've got some extraordinary talent in that team, Chris Sturdy, Lockie Monday, Donnelly, Ment, and so on. Mm-hmm. How much do those guys want to beat each other and, you know, if you had to pull a Christian Horner or a Toto Wolf, if you had to bang drivers' heads together about cooperating and collaborating, or are they out to beat each other as much as anybody else? Take us inside. What's going on there? I don't think I don't think there's any form of motorsport where you don't want to beat not just your teammate but everyone, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, it's, uh, it, it's inherent to, to, you know, single competition. Um, but uh, there, there is – I, I – there aren't rivalries, but mm. there's healthy competition. Mm. Everyone wants to beat everyone. Mm. Um, you know, uh, an example of uh, the Nationals just gone by, you know, um, Chris Sturdy's home track. Mm. Um, and, you know, he was he was the guy that everyone outside of the team and also in the team everyone was looking at. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, I, I just encourage everyone uh, within the team that, yes, you're here to, to, you know, to do the best that you can. Um, but it's it's how we work together as a team to get your car the best. Um, or if someone's genuinely faster than you, you can actually use them to make you go faster because there is that competition there. So, you know, an example at the Nationals, you know, my, my briefing to the team was, you know, I, I know everyone here wants to win and I want to see the team do really successful. And I honestly, I uh, I... I couldn't care if it was Chris or if it was Lachlan Donnelly or Jared Mann or Lachlan Monday on the top step of the podium, as long as we're there. Um, and and it, it's healthy competition. Not saying that I haven't had to ask people to pull their heads in. Um, you know, I- inherently people want to be secretive with stuff if there's an edge that it gives you over your competition. But what that does is it brings everyone outside of the team closer to us so we need to keep moving forward so i always I've, I've had to have a few tough words in the past but um in general the boys are as competitive as anyone else whether it be in in team or outside um but 
it's a it's they know that we're racing together we're not racing against each other yeah a little bit of both yeah i get you um this there seems to me to be something about i guess i'm you know i'm thinking about the history of team associated now in particular and there seems to be something about the dna of team associated's race teams that you know over over decades have have had that kind of attitude about collaboration and you know i I think you can make a pretty good case that at you know at world championship level, for example, historically team associated has worked better together as a team than just about any other team. And so I'm, I guess I'm curious about you know how much of the approach and the attitude that you're describing is coming from you because it's who you are, and and is there some influence from team associated themselves saying this is what we do, this is how we work, this is what our version of a team looks like. Yeah, uh, it's deeply ingrained into into the culture uh, at the brand, and um, it, you know, as as far back as you know the eighties and nineties, that's the way it's always been. I think, um, you know, traditionally they've they've had the most competitive car, so by virtue you have the most amount of drivers running your vehicle. Um, so there has been a kind of a, a team built, you know, whether purposely or just you know it's just happened, um, but. A, a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, the the global team manager Brent Talkey. Um, you know, he he pushes that team culture, uh, and and also prior to him, Mike Reedy, who ran the team. And again, you know, Mike was one of those figureheads that promoted people working together. And you know, you know, we win together, and you know, we lose together. Um, so I I feel it's it's ingrained into into the culture. Mm. Um, and and also on our shore here, um, you know. Again, I'll keep, keep saying his name. You know, Ray Monday. Uh, you know, he's very transparent with with things, and you know, he's uh, you know, it's rubbed off on me as well that you know, if if you can beat me with my setup, well, then I'm yeah. just not good enough. I, I, you know, you, you're you're better than me on the day. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's the. I think that's where my head's at, and that's where generally the the teams uh, teams you know stance is, and and that's what's happened in the past, whether it be in the US under Brent or under Mike. Mm. Um, it's just the way it, the way it it's kind of just happened. Mm. Yeah, mm. that that sense of rivalry. I mean, we're talking there about internal within the team, but I guess I'm interested too in you know how how you guys think about rivalries with other other teams other drivers and i you know i guess i'm thinking here that like there's one it's one thing to win when everybody uh that's good is using your product but actually it's more rewarding to win when there's really healthy competition so i'm thinking about you know who are the who are the guys that you as team associated love going head to head with in australia today there's you know historically we can talk about associated velocity and all sorts of things but what are the rivalries like for you today? Is it healthy? You know, who do you really love going up against at these big events? Oh, it's, it, you, you've just got to look at, at the race results. I mean, we love going up against anyone who's mm. who's as fast or faster than than the team. Um, but, uh, you know, in the past it used to be TLR um, and more recently it's, it's X-Ray. Um, they probably have the next biggest market share and next biggest team. They're quite popular in New South Wales, yeah. um, and and quite honestly, they they've got a really good um, outfit as far as 
you know, uh, the team uh, team dynamic and size and how they represent themselves um, at race meets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very similar to 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 what we do. Um, and and I, I love going to race meets when when we know that uh, that they're going to be there um, because you know it's a it, it's a it's a competition and it gives it gives our guys uh, an external some someone outside the team as well to to look at instead of looking sideways at your teammate. Um, so that that's that that's gen- at the moment um, it's predominantly X ray that yeah. that. Uh, that we love going up against, um, even if even if we we don't win on the weekend, um, yeah. it's always good to learn um, and where we can make ourselves better. Yeah. What what's the what's the degree to which I guess you are conscious of, you know, how this kind of team thing impacts on the overall health of the sport? So you know, you, I mean, you can only control what you do, but you've talked there about X-ray who've got a really you know strong kind of healthy vibe around their own team. Does that, I guess, not just the rivalry, but the way that you know you go about sharing information and kind of encouraging younger drivers, some of those things we've talked about that are really all about making a contribution to the broader health of the sport. And so I guess it's a something of an ethics question, I suppose I'm asking, you know, what's what's you and your team's kind of view about your responsibility to the, the health of the sport more broadly, even to people who don't use your products? Yeah, I mean, I um, we've got a responsibility just in general to ensure that uh, the the hobby or sport is is healthy, um, and it and it doesn't have a negative image to any newcomers. Mm-hmm. So whether it be uh, someone dropping past the track, and uh, and you know asking questions and and giving them the time of day to have a chat and let them know about what the hobby is, what the cars are, and all of that. It's uh, it, when when you're representing a brand, it's it's our responsibility to to. To be to act like that and represent our our hobby in its best possible light. Yeah. Um, so it's a I wouldn't say it's a you know, a question of ethics. I think it's just a question of um, how you want to re- represent not just your brand but you know represent our hobby. Mm-hmm. We're a very small community, we are. Um, and yeah. and any any people that you can get in new um, or paint paint this you know this awesome thing that we do in in a, in a good light. Uh, it's only good for good for you know our brand, um, but then good for the health of the RCC in Australia in general. Um, I don't I don't see uh, you know there, there comes a point where you know races are obviously competitive, um, oh, yes. and and things can turn uh, can turn toxic fairly quickly, um, and you, you've just got to you've got to call them out and and really look at. What are other people seeing, and what's the attitude that you're conveying? And if young people see you doing that or think that that's acceptable, then we're sending the wrong message. Um, so, uh, I think I think that's kind of the the ethos that we've we've taken, and kind of the stance that you know whether whether we like it or not, it's our responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah coming coming to the end of our time and so just kind of you know uh, naming that um but a couple of last things i guess i wanted to explore and you've we've talked there and we did talk a little bit earlier as well about younger and newer drivers um you know in the way that within the group um you're going to kind of support younger and newer drivers i'm also interested i guess in 
you know, what's what's the approach? What's the approach that you take, Andrew, you personally around mentoring or supporting or encouraging a young driver? You know, for someone who's kind of coming into the scene, maybe young, maybe just new, what are the things that you're saying to them that you're wanting to talk with them about, that you're wanting them to think about? Um, firstly, I guess, for their own development, but then, you know, secondly, maybe down the track if they're looking to kind of, you know, have the opportunity to race as part of a team. But where do you, Andrew, start with, you know, encouraging, mentoring, supporting younger or newer drivers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always, I don't know if it's just the way that I'm wired, it's, it, it's always exciting um, to see young people that are passionate about something um, and that they want to they want to work at it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always looking out for uh, any of the, you know, whether they be young, you know, five-year-old or, you know, teenager, you know, teenagers, um, newcomers to the track, you know, uh, are they, are they attentive? Are they, are they passionate about it? You know, is that what they're, you know, you can tell they've just got that vibe around them that they, they love it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and seeing how they are on track, if they're struggling, um, you know, it, it might be giving them some coaching or driving advice around, you know, how to take a jump, um, more often than not, their their cars aren't, you know, uh, they may not be serviced or built to, you know, to the correct way. So it might be offering, you know, doing a quick check over their cars to make sure everything's, you know, pointing straight um, and, and helping them out and, and making sure that they can enjoy their time because they're not there to, um, to be ultra competitive. Um, you know, uh, they're there to have a good time because they love it. And anything that you can do, to make to make sure that they're enjoying themselves, they're not frustrated, they're not, you know, spearing off the track because they've got a seized bearing, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Um, just gives them it, it. It keeps them fascinated with it, and it keeps them happy. Um, and so I, I just look for that in the young guys. Uh, you know, do they have that spark in their eye? Um, and and you know, give give them some time. Give them the time of the day that you would give to someone else in the team because they're truly the people that you need to not just influence, but to help. Mm. Um, and, and I don't look for that in team drivers. I, I just look for that in general with people at the track, you know, yeah. didn't, wouldn't bother me if you ran any brand. Mm. Um, if you're passionate about something, that's, that's what makes me passionate. Um, so it's a roundabout way of answering a question that I, yeah, yeah. I just look for how they carry themselves and do they love it or are they, you know, stomping around because dad wants them to be there and they're not there by choice. You know, um, it's, uh, it's just looking for, out for those things. Uh, now I'm just off down memory lane thinking about father-son partnerships that have been entertaining to watch. Uh, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, that does raise for me an interesting, I guess, an interesting thought, or it's interesting to me at least, that is that in our, I keep calling it a sport, hobby, whatever, however we want to describe it, this competitive thing that we do, Coaching has never really been a big thing. You know, we have we don't generally have coaches or team coaches or driver coaches. And there are some people around, you know, Ray Monday is one who's run some kind of coaching workshops. Kyle McBride's done some of that. Chris mm-hmm. Sturdy's, you know, offering some some kind of coaching workshops this year around Southeast Queensland. That it's a curiosity to me that coaching as is recognized, the value of coaching is recognized in just about any other competitive pursuit we would care to name. But in RC, it hasn't quite, you know, hasn't quite taken hold. And, and I'd, you know, be an interesting thing to think about. Um, this is not a question. I don't know how to frame this as a question, but, you know, the value, the place of coaching in developing young drivers in particular, but even experienced drivers, you know, having a coach 
they're mm-hmm. working with them on the headspace, the mental game, as well as driving technique, car preparation. I guess it does tap into a bunch of things you've been talking about, which is why. I'm yeah. yeah, it, it, it is, um, you know, I ne- never usually think about it in that light, but it is mm. a, a large part of the role that I play. Mm. Um, you know, you, and that's where, uh, that's where there's a big opportunity within our, within our sport mm. um, to do that and kind of, um, that's the the path that I've tried to go down with the you know with the the title of team manager or whatever we want to call it mm-hmm. is that above and beyond that's that's what I can I can do to influence um, our our guys and anyone else that's on track um, whether it be recording a race run and running through it with them to see what their car's doing and saying you're taking this corner you know not the right way or you know making them relax uh, you know th- those types of things that where you can provide the driver feedback um, and then also take what they're saying on and, and make some positive change as well. So um, that's uh, it's a big thing that we don't do a lot of that um, if we did it more consistently, um, our, our results as just in general in racing mm. um, as a nation would be so much better um, because everyone's taking on feedback and making themselves better. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love the opportunity to be at a track and to to sit and watch someone drive and then to just have a little quiet conversation with them about, you know, I noticed this in your car, I noticed this in your approach to this corner. And it it is very cool when you see somebody open to that sort of feedback and and then improving going faster. It's 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 a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Andrew, we we need to wrap up. What's 2023 look like for you guys as a team? What it's you know, I guess we're the second full season back after the travel restrictions we've all known about. So, you know, everything's back on the agenda. South Australian title's just a few weeks away. What's this season look like for you guys? Um, you know, what are you focused on uh, for this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, we on our on our shores here. Um, there's obviously the the usual list of um, state titles. Mm. Um, more specifically, you mentioned South Australia. Uh, we've also in February we've got the Victorian titles coming up as well, mm. um, and then uh, a slew of other events that uh, you know that wrap around whether it be the you know New South Wales the um, the XRS or Proline series that they have there. Um, you know, down here in Victoria, we've got, you know, the Summer Slam, you know, at, at Wodonga. Um, so it's it's a lot of that. The first six months of this year is jam-packed with events. Mm. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll be making an effort at a national level to, to try and attend most of those as a team. Um, and uh, and then, you know, as we spoke about earlier on in, in, in the podcast, it's that this is a world year mm. um, and the world isn't for everyone, but we'll have probably about 10 drivers going to that um, okay. from the team. Yeah. Um, so a, a lot of, a lot of this year is, is focusing on for those guys that are attending um, preparation for that, um, exposing yourself to competition and, and kind of, you know, doing all the training required. So um, I, I think we'll see this year a lot, a lot more of our, you know, um, Garrett Manton, uh, Lockie Monday and Lachlan Donnelly, you know, type drivers uh, do a bit more traveling um, to the, to, to the, to the state, and local events just to to keep sharp Mm. um that's what uh that's what this year looks like in general and then i think we've got nationals in perth this year um uh, west coast so that that'll uh towards the end of the year yeah Yeah. have you guys i mean i now i really am just off on a flight of fantasy but it you know strikes me that the notion of a team camp of sorts you know like say in a lead up to the worlds of getting 
all of those guys together, you know, for a few days, you know, maybe at a track somewhere and, you know, working really mm. intensively. Um, is that a kind of thing that, you know, would be helpful or is it really the heat of competition at those big events? You think that's the best way to help people prepare for, say, a trip to a world's? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely, it definitely is a thing um, and it's something that we've done in the past. Mm. Um, even for, say, uh, the lead-up to this Nationals, you know, we, we came up there for a practice weekend um, mm. and made an effort to get most of the, most of the guys together to do that. Mm. Um, in general, you know, because we all have the challenge of distance, you know, in Australia being the size it is, yes. um, it takes a fair amount of planning. It does. Um, but... But uh, in general, what we'll find is that before the before the worlds, we'll probably all catch up um, at an event, you know, a month or two beforehand, um, and then uh, make a make an effort to go over there early and as a you know as a team, get in the time zone, and uh, and get used to used to tracks over there. So that might actually be a, a you know a camp, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, at the first part of the world's trip. To the yeah, US. yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, that would be fun. Uh, one last question for you before we wrap. Um, I guess I'm, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the big changes that have happened in our sport um, through this podcast. We talked, you know, earlier about the advent of lipo and brushless and those sorts of things. We've talked about the the rise of these really high grip outdoor racing surfaces in recent years. I'm, I guess, I'm curious to ask you, Andrew, with your your crystal, you know, crystal ball gazing. Um, you know, what whether you see any signs of new changes, new shifts, new trends emerging, you know, that we could keep an eye on over the next few years, you know, or do you think it's more a sort of a business as usual for the time being? Where do you get a feel for where things are headed? Yeah, I think in the in the electric scene, especially here for us in Australia, I think we're going to see a change of how we how we run and go about events. Um, you know, I'm I don't think a lot technology-wise is going to change. You know, there's always iterative development and the team's always working on stuff. Mm. Um, but I, I kind of see a shift in um, in how we go about our race events here in Australia. So whether it be, you know, limiting the number of tyres um, or uh, or a more uniform kind of uh, tyre for for a series of events, mm. uh, kind of like what they do in New South Wales. Yeah. I can kind of see the the industry going that way. Um, and so not just to mitigate, you know, cost, you know, reduce costs um, for, for the racer, but I kind of see that that is the, the hot topic at the moment around, you know, control tyres, limiting tyre budgets, those types of things. Um, I can see that happening um, a, a fair amount. Uh, and, how did, can uh, I, I just want to just want to jump in there and say, how do you see that conversation playing out in the eight-scale off-road scene where... I mean, tyres are such a big deal and there are so many brands and there's been a, it seems like a resistance to control tyre kind of arrangements in eight scale at sanctioned major events. Is that yeah. is that a conversation you're starting to hear bubbling around that part of the hobby as well? I have heard it, um, but I think there's a different situation in the in the one-eighth market mm. where You've got a lot, a lot of tire manufacturers that produce one eight tires that you know, some of them I haven't even heard of, mm. um, and I think the the difference with one eight as well, and I'm sure I'll cop some flack for this, is that um, in general there's no one tire that is light years ahead of everyone else. You know, you can be on slightly different treads, slightly different compound, and you can still drive the car. You might be a couple of tenths off, but it's 
you're there or thereabouts. Yep. And I think that the, the difference is with um, not not saying that going to an event with 100 pairs of tyres is acceptable. It never is. I don't think that's sustainable. Um, but I think the difference with that we have with one-tenth is that, you know, the weight-to-power ratio, there is massive differences in in the performance of the tyres, you know, yeah. to the tune of a second or two a lap. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't see it as a big issue in one-eighth. Mm. Not saying it is an issue. It is, mm. definitely. Um, but I, I just don't think the industry is ready to go there yet. Um, every time it's brought up, you always get a lot of pushback. Yeah, yeah. Because um, usually, you know, whatever you have in the bag, works yeah that's fair um, i think that's probably a fair observation and and there's the obvious you know difference as well between uh, selecting a tire that'll work over a seven minute or 10 minute qualifier and will work in a 45 or 60 minute final uh yeah, so, exactly. you know, there are all those things it is a question that i continue to wonder about particularly with respect to eight scale yeah um, anyway uh, I, I, back to to your original question the only other thing that i can see happening and I'm not not nervous or excited about it. I'm uh, interested to see where it goes. Is the um, is there going to be a uh, a slow wind back of uh, nitro powered cars at events? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with the EU changing their laws around uh, around fuel mm-hmm. and the whole direction that globally, you know, electrification of vehicles. Yep. Um, I. You know, if I had a crystal bullet, and this is my own opinion, um, and uh, you know, spoken to about it with a few people as well, is that um, I, I could honestly see nitro becoming a, uh, smaller than what it is now, mm-hmm. um, and electric eight scale taking over um, uh, from nitro in the, in the next decade or two. And really, there you're talking about some external forces, aren't you? Environmental forces and noise and those sorts of things, as exactly well right. as as well as personal preference yeah so those external forces that might just come to play um uh, and that's probably true in full-scale motorsport as well there'll be you know increasingly pressures around those sorts of things Um, exactly yeah andrew savage it's been an absolute delight to chat with you to have a peek inside team associated to chat a little bit about your own uh racing career uh you multi-time national champion you as well as that little bit of a tour through uh, the u.s trip uh, there's lots to look forward to in 2023 i uh, wish you and the team all the very best uh for what lies ahead and and uh you know honestly thank you uh, for the time and and the for me quite fascinating conversation going inside the team thanks for being with me today thank you and uh yeah hello to all your listeners and um and yeah thank you for what you're doing uh with this podcast it's uh it's truly awesome and i appreciate your time it's it's good times now folks uh thanks for joining us again uh i want to encourage you to you know like and subscribe that's the thing that podcasting people have to say so i'll say that um just looking ahead a little bit over the next couple of weeks i'm still not going to give you names but i'm going to tell you this uh, we will have over the next two weeks, firstly, a person who will require no introduction other than the sound of their voice. You will recognize this voice. And secondly, a two-time world champion. Uh, two conversations I'm immensely looking forward to over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I hope you'll join me as we continue to adventure through the world of RC racing. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for being with me.